We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hey, all crimers, this is Lindsay. Normally, this would be where I'm introducing the episode and my sister Madison. Instead, I'm going to be introducing a special feed drop episode from our good friends over at the Pacific Northwest Haunts and Homicides podcast, where I was a special guest to talk to Caitlin about the story of Mary Leonard. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Lindsay, why aren't you doing a normal episode? That is a good question. Essentially, the TLDR version is Maddie had a work trip. I went away for the weekend to enjoy some time with my husband. And in between all of that, I did not have time to write an episode. So instead, we're going to do this special feed drop and we will come back with fresh content next week. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this hilarious episode about a very interesting woman with my good friend, Caitlin. On that note, as always, I am Lindsay and I will see you next week and next time with another tale as old as crime. It was said that when Mary Leonard first came to the United States as a 16-year-old Italian girl in the late 1860s, she could not speak a word of English. In addition to the great misfortune of being shanghaied away from her home by a sea Mm. captain scoundrel, which is my favorite word. I do love a scoundrel. As of this recording... (laughs) To be held as a captive an ocean away in Portland, Oregon, she had been bound to him in an acrimonious marriage. (gasps) The scandal. I know. Acrimonious. As of this point in the recording, now my new favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to change them regularly, but right now it's acrimonious. You know what? That's really in keeping with the vibe of Mary, though, because hers is sort of a choose your own adventure type of story when you start looking nice. at her history. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hmm, does anyone know the truth about this gal? No. <laughs> the I short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Some retellings of her early life say she came to the United States from Switzerland, closer to 1875. In this version of the story, she settled in the Dells, where she married Daniel G. Leonard, because everyone had to use their middle initial, even though there were maybe a hundred people in the whole goddamn county. That's the only way you'll know that it's really that Leonard. Even if it, even if he was the only Leonard that existed in that county, he really needs you to to like wonder what the G stands for. And I do wonder what it stands for. Mission accomplished. It's Gaston. <laughs> Solved it. Daniel Gaston Leonard. Nailed it. Yeah. Nothing else. Cut, it print. Be. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> I think my work is done here. <laughs> Just throw off my headphones and storm out. I'm good. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) 
At the time of their entry into holy matrimony, she was closing in on spinsterhood for the era, probably still for the modern era, if I'm being honest, (laughs) at nearly 30 years old, though. Oh, God. I know. Practically a thorn back at that point. (laughs) Is that a cramp word? It is a thing. I should look up what the age is because a thornback is the old mystical term for unmarried women in their 20s. If it's after 26, it's a thornback. So what? if she was in her 30s, if it's after 36, it's a doom witch. <gasps> I'm almost a doom witch. I'm not going to make it. But yes, she's oh in between God. a thornback and a doom witch. Wow. God damn. The fucking patriarchy. There's literally different tiers of quote-unquote spinsterhood. Yes. Cool. I picture her looking like Bowser. Like, as she's getting ready to, like, go down the aisle, she, like, has the the shell with all the, like, spikes coming out of the back of her dress. That is potentially fire. (laughs) That is fashion week. I mean, she looks great, but woof. Like, (laughs) oh my God, that's so funny. (laughs) The more you know. Uh, Yeah, I always picture it. It's like childhood. Every time. Every time. Oh my gosh. Though she was still 30 years, her husband's junior, roughly, give or take. Oh, geez. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing it. I got it. Yeah. So I guess based on all of this, um, that'll make me a geriatric bride. I, that's what I have in my notes. Um, but now <laughs> we've discovered there's a whole different word for it. I just Mm -hmm. assumed that, you know, we'd be following the same rules that apply to pregnancy, you know, like after 35, that's what we call it. But Mm -hmm. no, like you said, the more you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you couldn't have known how appropriate that was going to (laughs) be. You're entering your doom witch era. I'm not going to make it. I have But you have to be 36 or older, right? That's true. That's true. You're approaching your doom witch era. It's right on the horizon. Wait. Just wait. Wait We need to push back the wedding. (laughs) I, I'm, Lindsay, I'm a fucking idiot, but I, she said excitedly. I'm going to be 35 this year, next year, when we get married in August on the 1st. That is like the same week as my birthday. I you will have broken the curse. be a doom witch. You will have broken the curse, though. So you will break the doom witch curse by being married before you turn 36. Nah, dude. My birthday is July 29th. Oh, oh my God, you're going to be a doom witch bride. For like three days, I will be I a doom witch. So... You got to like own it. I'm already planning that like the bachelorette party is going to be coven themed. It has to be now. It has to. 
<laughs> I didn't know why other than I just like it. Um, but now, clearly. Now you know the reason. Yeah. And it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. I'm having a t-shirt made. I want you to yeah. know. You know what's funny? Um, <laughs> in my notes, it actually says, but I digress. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> because I'm about to be a doom witch. <laughs> I'm clearly coming in to my powers. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they are. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. As all good stories do, this one comes in a three. Then in the third version, as the story goes, Mary Geisen or Gissen, it's unclear to me. I've seen it spelled multiple ways. Mm-hmm. According to this third version, she was born in 1845 in France, and she immigrated to the U.S. By 1870, she was living in Portland and working as a seamstress until she met and married. Still same guy. He's kind of the only constant in all of this. Uh, Daniel Leonard. Drop the G here at this point in my notes. So He was, he was a- too good for it now. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was like, people know who I am. Well, it's funny you should say that because he was, quote, a prosperous owner of a hotel. So, kind of. Oh, so they did know who he was. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, oh, it's old Leonard Hotel over there. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that Daniel. Okay. That one. Okay. Yeah, he can totally drop the G. We'll remember which one. <laughs> we know who he is. <laughs> His hotel was in East Wasco County at a point where the Oregon Trail crossed the John Day River. Just a little nugget for anyone old enough to be missing the Oregon Trail game. Oh, I miss it every day. (laughs) Every day. Sarah never gets a snake bite. I never die of dysentery. I never get to ford a river. That's the dream. That is the dream. It's so funny because I'm like, everybody has played the Oregon Trail game, right? Like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that, like, growing up in Oregon and in the Pacific Northwest in general, we assume the rest of the country, like, you're hip to it. Like, you get it. You know it. Mm -hmm. Nah, dude. But Oregon Trail transcends. Mm -hmm. Generations. Geography. All of it. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems that some details are somewhat readily verified upon closer examination of her story. And thankfully, some of the sources I found did just that because I don't want to. I'm not an investigative journalist (laughs) (laughs) or a historian, just in case there was anybody that wasn't aware of that fact. As always, you can refer to our paste bin at the bottom of the show notes to see the complete list. If you are some sort of a hobbyist of checking people's references and such. A source scoundrel, if you will. (gasps) Source scoundrel. I'm bringing scoundrel back. Back to our girl, Mary. She was born Mary Geisen, Gissen, some variation thereof, in Alsace which I'm sure is how the French people say it. It sounds legit. Yeah. 
She was born in the mid-1840s. For context, and I'm just shamelessly lifting this directly from BritishCouncil.org. Very Mm. fancy. Alsace is a region in northeastern France that borders Switzerland and Germany. In fact, it is so close to Germany that you can travel by tram from the regional capital, Strasbourg, to Kiel, the nearest German city, in just 15 minutes. Damn. That is close. It is. It's really close. Although Alsace is part of France, its borders have not always been clear. So maybe that's... Kind of like the story with our girl Mary, it sounds like. Right? (laughs) So it's kind of, it makes sense to me that maybe people just thought she was from France or thought she was from Switzerland because they're like, I don't know, she's from that one city that nobody really knows who it belongs to. Yeah. And you mentioned that she might have been German too. So it's like she's right in that little pocket, that like tri-country area, if you will. Yeah. So I'm not really sure where Italia comes from because that's oh it was Italy it was Italy not Germany sorry (laughs) well you know it's a lot of places that she's allegedly maybe from (laughs) Mm -hmm. prior to her immigration to the United States there was really next to no information available about her life and it would remain so until her 1875 marriage to Daniel Leonard because of course as we know a woman's life doesn't really begin until she's wed facts I can't wait for mine to start. (laughs) Then you lose your entire identity. Yeah. (laughs) Just become Mrs. Husband. (laughs) An amorphous blob. (laughs) All we have prior to that is the 1870 census where she was reported as a 23-year-old Swedish immigrant at the time, working as a domestic servant to a man and his family, including his three young children, in the city of Portland. So Portland's kind of the other thing that still keeps popping up. We know she was hanging out there. Okay. So the truth is that she was a Swiss woman who came to America quite willingly, as far as we know, though the details regarding her husband remain truthful from what can be gathered. Daniel, in contrast to her 30 years, was in his 50s, though I'm afraid that's probably as specific as it's safe to be about his age. Could be late 50s, could be early 60s. Eh. What's a few years between friends? Am I right? Am I right? He was a very successful entrepreneur, restaurateur, hotelier, and ferryman. Nice. So he kind of had his hand in a bunch of different pots. Yes. He was pretty fancy. Unfortunately, the marriage was tumultuous from the start. In fact, the Leonard's divorce was in process when, as the story goes, Mary murdered her husband, Daniel, to inherit his estate. Oh, scandal. Scandalous. Scandalous. They were married for two years before he apparently filed for divorce, citing her laziness, infidelity, oh, and refusing his marital rights. Oh, gross. Gross. Ugh. I know. That's actually in my notes. I had to say it because I did write gross. 
It just makes me think of that Big Daddy quote where he's like, ugh, what's his five-year plan to not die? <laughs> this this old balls. His old wrinkly balls. <laughs> old wrinkly balls. Seriously. <laughs> well, and back then, like in your 50s or 60s, like, yeah, your five-year plan hella was to just not die. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> So it was the fall of roughly 1877 when Daniel filed for divorce, claiming all of the things. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, there's actually a lot of speculation about the character of this dude. I know you're shocked. I am shooketh to my core. Mm -hmm. The least of which stems from the fact that from one census to another, he would change his answers about not only his birthplace, but also his date of birth. Oh, convenient. Mm-hmm. It's unclear whether he told Mary the truth about either, because it's also unclear whether he mentioned his previous marriage and the lawsuit brought by his previous common law wife thereafter. Whole oh, snap. Yeah. Those seem like I don't know, facts of your life before her that a discerning lady might be interested in making her acquaintance with. Yeah. He was like, oh, these two red flags? Pay no attention to these two red flags. (laughs) I know. I was thinking to myself like that scene in The Wizard Hmm. of Oz, like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Exactly. Wow, are you sure? Because he appears to be doing fireworks <laughs> with glow sticks. And he's got all the things. Mm-hmm. At any rate, when it came to their divorce, Mary countered that Daniel had treated her like a servant, requiring her to put in backbreaking hours working in his hotel kitchen. Which, honestly, like, why would you even take a wife unless you can treat her like a servant? Men. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Cross filed claiming mental and physical abuse. When her health had suffered, he had apparently refused her the resources she required, granting her neither the health care she needed nor the money to obtain it or any other essentials. She further asserted that he had treated her with physical cruelty. Of course, she would vehemently deny his claims of infidelity, you know, as one does. Mm-hmm. The judge presiding over their divorce proceedings ruled, requiring Daniel to provide her with support while they were separated and sorting out these legal matters. Nice. I know. That's one of the few times you hear it of like the woman being the victor. <laughs> So loud. God. (laughs) Daniel refused to make court-ordered spousal maintenance payments. So rude. Now, I wasn't there because this is well over 100 years before I was born, just for Mm -hmm. reference. So I can't be sure what happened a few nights later. But let it be said that in late December, Mary did write a rather... Mm, I'm going to say nasty letter to Daniel saying she would have her revenge for his neglect, vowing to, and this is a quote, it's a short one, but get even with him. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) So 
this marriage is giving some majorly toxic vibes. Just a little. Just a little. Just a tad. (laughs) Well, as I alluded to previously, something awfully violent did happen to Daniel. Days later, on January 4th of 1878, Daniel was found. And not because he was lost. uh, With an apparent gunshot wound to the head. Though he would not succumb to his wound until 12 days later on January 16th. Oh, damn. So, I mean, I don't know how much he made her suffer, like how many days it equates to, but like, I don't know. What do you say we call it even? I would say, yeah. He had been shot with a small caliber pistol while he slept in his home. A small caliber pistol, you say? Well, that sounds like the weapon of a woman. For her delicate hands. That's right. And while there was no evidence that Mary had been the one to pull the trigger, it didn't seem like much of a stretch. Yeah. Didn't exactly need Sherlock Hmm. to figure that one out. That's why you never put stuff in writing. Yeah, it's for the best. Though the locals of the small town all seemed to agree that Daniel was not a kind man. So I think you can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. By and large, they seemed to feel that he had simply reaped what he had been sowing up to that point in both the marriage and possibly in life in general. So let's just say there was more than one person interested in him unaliving. Yeah. Kick in the proverbial bucket. <laughs> As it were. <laughs> Pating. <laughs> oh, I like. <laughs> <laughs> While there were no witnesses, suffice to say, Daniel's lawyer suspected Mary and her alleged lover, Nathan Lindsay, Ooh. in the killing. Don't be smirch a Lindsay. No relation to this Lindsay. <laughs> I don't claim him. <laughs> You're like, that's not how names work, you idiot. (laughs) That's his maiden name. (laughs) Or wait. Nope. That's not how maiden names work either, Lindsay. Nope. (laughs) I'm like, that's not how maiden names work. That's how man-man names work. Is there alcohol in this coffee? What is happening right now? Oh, my God. That makes me think of old Greg Bailey's. Law enforcement didn't take long to act, arresting Mary on January 5th. Actually, Mary and Nathaniel Lindsay. A grand jury indicted both Mary and her alleged lover on June 26th that same year. That's a long time. Yeah, it took them about like to five be in jail. months to even indict them. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's not that fun. I suppose they were like, it can wait. Yeah. It's this it's this guy's killer. It's fine. Yeah. They're like, I mean, like it's not like he was cool or anything. <laughs> I mean, if he was cool, we would speed this up a bit. But exactly. He I was mean, kind of a dick. So. You gotta understand, it's not like anyone's actually clamoring for justice. <laughs> no one's actually upset. Yeah. We just gotta legally do this thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, legally. <laughs> Technically, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mary's lawyer arranged separate trials for the two defendants, which I feel like in every court case that I've ever heard of, like severing the trials ends up being a good move, typically. Mm -hmm. If they try you together, they can usually present a different set of evidence. And every Mm -hmm. case is different, but they tend to be able to put together a more damning case when you're tried together. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Not a lawyer. I am also not a lawyer, but I agree with what you said. (laughs) Hashtag not a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag wild speculation. (laughs) Man, my hashtags are real... It's like, wow, amateur hour, huh? Oh, hashtag amateur hour. (laughs) There's a third one. Uh, There we go. They come in threes, like I said. They do. And though Mary's sister lived in Wilsonville, Oregon, with her husband at the time, it's unlikely she attended the trial at any point. They had kind of grown apart, but... The biggest thing is that her sister would actually end up giving birth to her first child on January 20th of 1879. So we assume she couldn't travel in that delicate disposition. Facts. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, June to January. So she was only like three or four months pregnant. Like, what is the big deal this was also the time when they thought that riding on the railroad would give you like insanity so i'm sure they probably were like oh god if she's pregnant and riding on a train that thing's gonna projectile out of her and it's gonna just attack everybody in the car it's gonna be chaos keep that woman home (laughs) it's chaos down here tom (laughs) absolute chaos over here at the b&l railroad It's so crazy because, like, I mean, even the far end of it, I mean, this is obviously by modern standards, but Wilsonville is like 60 minutes from Portland if you hit traffic. So old timey stuff, you know? Yeah. Leonard would spend 11 months in jail without bail, though the case against him would eventually be dropped. Meanwhile, women's rights activist, Abigail Scott Dunaway used her newspaper, The New Northwest, to support Mary's defense. She had, uh, you know, some relatively powerful allies, it sounds like. Nice. Also, people just like, seriously, they just couldn't muster up a give a fuck for, you know. (laughs) They're like, yeah, she probably killed him, but like, do we care? Yeah, we're like. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, I mean, (laughs) he was kind of a good douche. Honestly, like (laughs) everything that I read, it made it sound like, what is this? The Walking Dead? Like, I get it. He was kind of a dick, but like, wow, you guys, uh, that's cold blooded. (laughs) Like, Damn. On November 20th, 1978. Yep. It was groovy. Yep. And all the drugs. She was the Zodiac killer. (laughs) Salt it. Salt it. (laughs) Deuces. Deuces. We're out. Uh, True crime is over. (laughs) We solved it. (laughs) 
someone reincarnate Robert Stack. We solve this mystery. R.I.P. On November 20th, 1878, Mary was acquitted of murder. Because, you know, eh, it's like the least murdery murder they've seen in a while. Yeah. This was more of an indication that the popular sentiment of the day was that her crime had been justified but hardly a reflection of her being proved innocent, in case that wasn't abundantly clear at this point. (laughs) (laughs) It is said that many people believed Mary killed her husband, but as he was so incredibly disliked, people actually felt sympathy for her. And, I mean, I could feel sympathy for her, too. Mm -hmm. He does sound like a real douche canoe. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't really say in this case whether she committed the air quotes crime or not. What I can tell you is that if his murder had occurred just a few days later, she would have been shit out of luck because the divorce would have been finalized and she would have gotten nothing. Oh, snap. Right? As it was she became the sole heir to a relatively wealthy man's fortune. Quite a nice haul there. Murderess? Maybe. Astute estate planner? Possibly. Investors? Possibly you! (laughs) (laughs) Later that year, Mary collected from Daniel's estate as the sole heir and moved to Portland. Allegedly. Depending on which story you believe. Who knows? There's no way to know. Following that sordid affair, as I said, she moved to Portland where she would quickly become known as a defender of the down and out. Nice. Yeah, sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like it's not good <laughs> without you said that? Because, you know, we've hung out before. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true crime podcast. Exactly. But soon, some of her other habits would leave some in the local community quite scandalized. She liked the ponies, didn't she? (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) No, but she was a middle-aged woman who frequently courted men that were roughly half her age. (gasps) Scandal. I know, my goodness. Apparently, she was the OG cougar of the Pacific Northwest. Nice snaps for this bitch. <laughs> I mean, if they come a calling, what are you gonna do? Yeah, honestly, I don't ever want to date a man half my age for a myriad of reasons that we Same. simply don't have time for in Same. today's format. Um, but if that's your yum, I'm not here to yuck it up, girl. Do you no. have your fun? Get yeah. it. Any other pithy one-liner? You go, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Get your groove back. Boss, babe. (laughs) She also operated boarding houses. Now, I realize that only Lindsay can see that I am once again using the air quotes. Air quotes. (laughs) They were said to be utilized by sex workers of the era. But, like, really? Point to a boarding house in the 1800s of which this couldn't be said. Yeah. I'm no historian. That's already been established. But I have the distinct impression that you simply can't find one. 
even if they weren't quote unquote brothels, you know, sex workers don't just stay at brothels, right? Like they stay in other places. They go all kinds of places. Shocker. I know. Knowledge bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Knowledge bomb. (laughs) Mind blown. Anyway, to me, I'm just seeing mainly a badass female entrepreneur who takes no shit so far. But please feel free to wake me up if she starts really wilding out. You know, I mean, like, I guess the murder thing was. Yeah. There's that. She could have totally slipped. Yeah. (laughs) He slipped with the tiny, tiny gun in his hand and. No one knows what happened after that, but then he was dead. (laughs) I just picture like a puppet hand coming in through like a crack in the doorway with like the little gun in its hand. (laughs) 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 Good heavens. (laughs) I mean, by the societal standards of the time, basically everything she did, she for sure was already wilding out. um, But I have no notes. I mean, good for her. Oh. You ever heard that uh, Dixie Chicks song? Because Earl had to die. Na, 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 na. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel G. Leonard had to die. Like, nope, can't. Hmm. We're going to have to workshop that one. Yeah. So anyway, recapping. So we're all on the same page with the timeline. In 1878, she moved to Portland and began running her boarding house her boarding house in what was probably the seediest neighborhood in Portland at the time, now referred to as Old Town. And if you're from Portland, you're probably saying, what has changed? It is. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like we were going there, but I was like, I'm going to wait and see how this plays out. (laughs) I mean, it's a cool, cool part of Portland, but uh, (laughs) she's seen some things. (laughs) This was, of course, after her acquittal. But keep in mind, she'd served a year while the state put together their case against her for the murder of her late husband. She would never have a chance to test out that age-old theory of first the worst, second the best, because she would never remarry. Okay. (laughs) Shocker, right? (laughs) Yeah. The first one seemed just short of a fairy tale. (laughs) But she wasn't keen to sit on her hands. Five years later is when she enrolled in law school. So, obviously, cue the legally blonde jokes now. But, Mm -hmm. like it's hard, she was first registered for courses in Portland, then eventually moved on to study under J.C. Haynes in Seattle. He was a renowned attorney, and apparently this was a good enough opportunity to entice her to abandon her boarding house business in the pursuit. Oh, okay. Well, she was like, I'm feeling really good about this. Bye, ladies. Yeah. Bye, boarding house. Hasta la pizza. Gotta go do your sexy stuff somewhere else. Or keep doing it here, but I just won't be hiding it for you. Yeah. I won't be a part of it. Honestly, if I'm not here, what's even the point? (laughs) (laughs) In October 1884, she passed the Washington Bar and was admitted to practice in Washington on March 11th of 1885. So kind of dragging their feet there a little bit, but 
thus becoming the first woman in the state of Washington to be licensed to practice law. That's pretty cool. I know. She's like, listen, I don't like to brag, except I totally do. And I'm kind of a big fucking deal. Just And I may or may not have killed my husband. But you know what? <laughs> Lawyer. <laughs> she just like, she just like flashes her certification. Lawyer. Lawyer. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, Mary returned to Portland and applied to practice law in Oregon. But here's the thing about old-timey Oregon that we don't like to talk about so much in polite company, as it were. Uh-oh. People from Oregon hate it when you talk about this. Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go there! Because yeah. I'm not from Oregon and I don't know. Yeah, you're like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something awful! <laughs> Spill that tea. History. (laughs) (sighs) Many of the state's inhabitants were not only racist, which I think is pretty well established about the state of Oregon, you know, white sheets and all, but they were also terrible sexists and misogynists. Because who wants to be just one thing? We're multifaceted. Yes. In our hatred. In our hatred. Everyone who's not a <laughs> cis white man. I get it. I get it. People that are different are scary. So, of course, the men of the town weren't going to let this go down without putting up a fight. Apparently, uh-huh. they found the time in between burping contests at the local tavern and visiting their mistresses in local boarding houses to put up quite a fuss while still making it home in time to complain about the dinner their wives had prepared. Nice. Uh, That's time management. Exactly. So you see, ladies, you really can have it all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, is that too much? But it's just like, seriously, don't y'all have better things to do? Like, Mm -hmm. Jesus, weren't people still dying of the common cold every year? Fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. On March 18, 1885, the Oregon Supreme Court refused to admit Mary, claiming the law only allowed for men to be admitted to the bar. So, of course, a judge has to get involved. In this case, Judge Matthew ordered her, declared her, whatever, I don't know. He said, I'm a judge, and I'm in the appropriate official legal fashion, he said, that she should be able to practice in federal court. He was like, that is it putting my foot down. Don't make me turn this car around. And everyone was like, nah. Nah. Yeah, that's exactly what, I, how did you know? <laughs> she took her jobs. <laughs> Federal judge Matthew Deedy of the U.S. District Court for the District of Oregon finding no similar prohibition in his interpretation of the law admitted Mary to the federal bar in Oregon on March 27th of 1885. Finally, that seems like that would be the last of it, but apparently not. Cool, 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 cool. So he turned that car around. (laughs) Damn it. Though it was common practice to recognize other legal professionals from neighboring jurisdictions without much concern, the state of Oregon denied her application with the Bar Association. Because the men folk weren't prepared to let this lady of the law win so easily after all. 
basically, <laughs> they were just whining. Just so much mediocre white male whining. It's not fair. She can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> Turns out you've she got could. a uterus. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> So she lobbied the legislature to ensure that the state would be required to allow women admission to the bar. Because remember, she was initially licensed in Washington. So it's all Mm -hmm. this jurisdictional hullabaloo. In November 1885, the Oregon legislature passed a law supported by Mary that allowed women to be admitted to the bar. So again, like, are we done yet? No. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the state Supreme Court responded by throwing together a totally bullshit one-year residency program. This'll fix her. Yeah. They were so upset about a woman practicing law. This was a law that was basically designed expressly to hopefully derail her application rather than outright denying it because, you know, that didn't work out for him. She argued her case in front of the Supreme Court and in person This was at a time when women did not do a lot of public speaking, mind you. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's not very ladylike. We're supposed to be seen, not heard. Oh, my God. That is exactly what I thought to myself when I was writing this. I was like, wait, that's only children, right? I'm like, nah, (laughs) it's the 1800s. What am I saying? (laughs) It's everybody. That's not a man. Yeah. She argued that exceptions had been made for 12 other male applicants. So, you Mm -hmm. know, they kind of set the precedent and all that. Mm -hmm. She made a very compelling argument against them, essentially leaving them with no choice, even considering the threat of bears being able to smell her menstruation. (laughs) I love Anchorman so much. (laughs) (laughs) Then on April 13th, 1886, Mary was admitted by the Oregon Supreme Court as Oregon's first female lawyer. Finally. Yeah. But But like for real this time, because apparently that other time was like kind of just a trial for funsies and they're like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Now, she may have been victorious in her hard-fought battle for the right to practice law, but she wasn't a particularly successful attorney, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Like, thanks a lot, Mary. (laughs) However, she did become notable in her own way. She mostly represented sex workers, gamblers, and average laborers in criminal court. Mary's colorful life continued as she developed a practice in Portland, working mainly in the police courts. You know, working with those undesirables. Mm-hmm. To supplement what was a fairly paltry income from her law practice, she reopened a boarding house. She was also a wild drinker, known for partying around town amongst her younger male colleagues. What? I know. Old habits die hard. Am I right? You are right. Now that is a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Stay golden, pony boy. (laughs) 
that's how I picture her is that character. Mm -hmm. It is said that she developed a reputation for fighting and drinking with male attorneys. So hopefully she had a tolerance for the booze and uh, wasn't my height. In 1897, Mary was arrested for threatening to kill the landlord of her boarding house when he attempted to evict her from his property. Kind of seems like maybe it backs up that whole story about how she, like, I don't know, maybe kind of killed her previous husband, but could be totally unrelated. After a trial described as a circus, Mary was once again acquitted. Because she barely has nine lives. (laughs) For real. Later, she was convicted of embezzlement of a dollar and 40 cents relating to refusing to pay a witness and went to jail after she refused to pay the fine. So doesn't like to pay the bills. Like she went to jail for like, I probably have that in my pocket right now. I realize it was a different Oh my time. God. <laughs> That is so good. Less than $2 worth of embezzlement, and I'm just going to go to jail. (laughs) Take me away, officer. (laughs) Cuff him, Dano. (laughs) Mary continued her practice in Portland until June 1912, and she died on October 24th of 1912. This was just two weeks after being admitted to a hospital in Multnomah County, Oregon, At the time of her death, she was said to be practically penniless and without a close friend left. So no wonder she didn't want to pay the $1.40. She was like, I need this. (laughs) You don't understand. (laughs) I can't even afford to stay in my own boarding house. I need this money. (laughs) Exactly. Apparently, she has no marked grave. And though it's possible that her remains were sent to the University of Oregon Medical School, Any associated records from that era are long since disappeared following a fire where they were housed. As our good friend uh, Bailey would say, suspish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, because she's our bestie now. (laughs) (laughs) I mentioned her once casually in passing and now we're BFFs. That's how that works. (laughs) So that's pretty dark, depending on how you look at it. But let's close out the case on a quote from Mary herself. It's from the victory party slash press conference that she threw for herself following the acquittal in the case brought against her by her landlord dating back to 1897. Nice. She said of herself, and yes, I quote, (laughs) The lady is not young or stylish. Withal, she is comely and attractive, possessed of sparkling wit, and her company pleases young attorneys. And I was like, what? (laughs) So essentially, she's like, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Yeah. Like, the milkshake has been sitting out on the counter for a couple minutes, but, like, they're still coming for it. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, it's still good. To sum it up. It's still good. (laughs) I love a room temp milkshake. Who doesn't? (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm a raving lunatic. (laughs) Okay, we're going to move the wine. I will tear it. And give him one more good shuffle. My tiny baby hands. (laughs) 
You have a strong hand. <laughs> exactly. I'll pick one. Have you ever um, had a tarot reading done? Uh, once. Once. Okay. We're gonna mm-hmm. have to. We're gonna have to come on and like do like a tarot reading just like, just for like you, just for funsies one of these times. Mm-hmm. They're so much fun. I like them. Okay, so you're gonna laugh. This is uh, the card that Cassie. It's like her card that it shows up for her all the time. She is going to probably laugh her ass off that it's the card that I picked for this case when she's not here. So our card for Mary is the fool. Also Cassie's card. (laughs) (laughs) I drew it in the reverse, which doesn't happen to us super often. I feel like we usually get it upright. So we'll see kind of an interesting one. Keywords for the card are innocence, beginnings, trust, hope, and opportunity. Um, kind of the overarching premise of the card is really about like a new beginning or just kind of a rebirth. The first card in the major arcana, the fool begins your journey toward wisdom. The fool represents innocence and faith, the naive confidence of youth. Shown as a young traveler, He embarks on an adventure without a care in the world, unconcerned about the potential dangers that lurk ahead on the path. In some decks, he appears as a happy-go-lucky young male standing at the edge of a cliff, just about to step off into the great unknown. Often he carries all his worldly possessions tied in a small bag on a stick over his shoulder, like a word that is no longer in common usage, Mm-hmm. Um, like an unhoused person. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Suggesting he doesn't have a lot of baggage yet and is open to life's experiences. In some decks, he's accompanied by a dog or another animal, which represents natural instincts. The fool symbolizes the blind leap of faith we all must take upon entering the journey of life. If the fool is reversed, you may feel restless and bored eager to try something new, but now's probably not the right time to act. I think of this as the don't quit your day job card. That's kind of funny. She (laughs) wasn't a very good lawyer. She gave up her boarding house business and then eventually came back to it. That's pretty funny. That is funny. In a reading about money, you may not have all the information you need to make a well-founded decision. An impulsive action could lead to a fall. Someone may take advantage of your innocence. The reversed fool can also mean you're vacillating or overly cautious about money matters. I wouldn't say that was her problem so much. No. (laughs) If the reading is about your job, your current situation has probably led to a dead end or you've grown bored with the career path you're on. It's time to strike out in a new direction. Don't do this hastily, however. Gather information and explore possibilities. Well, I mean, she did kind of nail that. She did. She did. Like 60% of the time, it works every time. Mm-hmm. In a reading about love, this card can warn you to look more closely at a partner or relationship. Things may not be what you think. That feels right. <laughs> yeah. 
The reversed fool may also indicate the end of a relationship and greater freedom as a result. That uh, hits the nail on the head just a little bit. <laughs> wow. It's a, it's a little on the nose. Um, <laughs> holy shit. Think before you act, however, for you might regret a breakup undertaken hastily. That's a little too pistol on the head, one might say. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Lizzie, I'm going to die. That is just... <laughs> That's too perfect. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello, we're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. <laughs>